Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Salt Lake City is Dina King. Dina is author of Compliance in One Page and someone who's currently working in a healthcare compliance office. Uh, first, Dina, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Now, we're going to talk today about something that caught my eye in a recent article that Dina wrote for Compliance and Ethics Professional Magazine. Uh, Dina, in it, you said, don't make your compliance program look like the Winchester house, uh, which is a great analogy. Can you share with our listeners what you meant? Yeah. Before we get started, I briefly need to mention I am representing myself and not my employer. So I am speaking as the author of Compliance in One Page. And long story short, that idea came to me from Andrew Neblett. So about a year ago, he spoke at a conference in Dallas, Texas. And one of the things he spoke about was how sometimes our compliance programs can become like Winchester House. Uh, so the Winchester House is kind of a amalgamation of just lots of add-ons and add-ons and add-ons. And it's kind of a, an interesting home. They now call it the mystery home. But sometimes our compliance programs can look like that too. We create a compliance program, and I'll use the utilities as an example. We create a compliance program, say, for SEC or for Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or maybe we need one for uh, equal opportunity. So we end up having maybe all these compliance programs spread, spread out all over our organizations without really understanding that a lot of these compliance programs have things in common. Um, I started noticing that because I went from higher education into the utilities. And when I went from higher ed into the utilities, one of the things I noticed is the pattern is the same. And it's basically you use the seven elements in higher education and you also use the seven elements in the utilities. And now that I'm in healthcare, I notice we still use the seven elements in healthcare. Uh, but what's different is the content. But all of these programs share processes and elements. All these programs need to have policies and procedures. All these programs need to have training. All of these programs occasionally need legal counsel and advice. Uh, all of these programs need to be auditing and monitoring. So when you have a Winchester House compliance program, it means you have like six or eight or even 10 little compliance programs spread out all over your organization, possibly duplicating effort instead of saying, well, what can we do together? So for example, training is the first thing that often uh, is some uh, organizations notice that they could probably combine efforts and we could probably coordinate training. We probably could get a similar training platform and we could uh, administrate all our training together on this one platform. But that's what it means to have a compliance program that's a Winchester house. When you have several compliance programs out there that aren't really coordinating and identifying areas where they probably can share services. Well, and I really love that analogy because I, I have to admit, as a kid, I learned about the Winchester House and was fascinated by the fact that it's got hallways to nowhere, stairs that dead end. And I think it's a great analogy in that you don't want to keep adding on, adding on, adding on and get to the point where stuff gets disconnected, lost, and, and you get redundancy that can, you know, frankly, when it comes to training drives employees crazy if one person after another is asking them to train. 
But by the same token, given that there are constantly new risk areas and new regulations, isn't it somewhat inevitable that the program will continue to evolve with new parts added on to it? Yes, that is true. That is definitely true, uh, which is one reason I've started advocating uh, an approach I call strategic compliance, which kind of grows out of a conversation I had with Jerry Zack at last year's Compliance and Ethics Institute. I had one of those little elevator conversations with him and I said, you know, when you have an elevator conversation with people, what is the primary purpose of compliance? He said, prevent, find and fix. And he said he got that from Roy Snell. Well, I pondered that answer because that's not the answer I was expecting. I was expecting like, oh, we're here to do the seven elements because we talk about the seven elements all the time. But that prevent, find and fix made me think a lot. And I said, I kind of said to myself, what do we how do we prevent how do we find and how how do we fix and are all of the industries no matter what we're in healthcare utilities higher ed financial are they preventing and finding and fixing and the answer is of course yes well how do we prevent how do we find and how do we fix well that's the strategic power of the seven elements We prevent with training and policies and procedures and communication uh, and having action plans and and checklists and things like that. And we find by having monitoring and auditing and investigations and we fix with with, uh, remediation, which sometimes the fix goes back to the same things we do with prevent, which is training and rewrite procedures, rewrite policies. If we start as compliance leaders, no matter what industry we're in, with prevent, find, and fix, have those seven elements in place, no matter what organization we're in, whether higher ed or a hospital, uh, that framework can inform everything we do from that point on. Everyone in the organization knows, oh, okay, well, we need to do policies. Well, do we have we centralized policy? Um, or are we going to decentralize policy? Uh, do we centralize training or are we going to decentralize training? Where, where, if we have a new program come on board or a new re- regulation come on board, if we have a strategic program in place, we will know, okay, we can leverage existing training. We can leverage existing policy writing or policy management. We can leverage existing legal expertise. And then what do we maybe need to build out that's a specialty to that particular program? Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Um, And I think you're making another good point in there, which is that the seven elements are a means, not an end. Yes. They're they're a way to get to where we want to be. And it's always important, even as we adopt that approach, to recognize just having them isn't the goal. It's having them so that we can find fix and prevent problems. So you mentioned taking a strategic approach. Have other organizations adopted that? Uh, Yes, they have. They're starting to. Um, For example, when I was in higher education, uh, I learned about Ohio State University. Uh, They have adopted a strategic approach uh, that uses the seven elements, but they have actually used the DOJ guidance, which is 13 elements. And that's another thing. Sometimes it's not seven anymore. Sometimes it's eight or nine, or in their case, it's 13. So Ohio State adopted a strategic approach. Uh, they designed a strategic model. 
Uh, and what they've done with that model is they push it out to all of their compliance leaders campus-wide and say, here's how you need to be doing compliance in your space, which is what makes uh, compliance kind of layered. So you have the strategic approach at the institution level, you push that strategic approach out to your subject specialty areas, then everybody's on the same page as far as strategy. We're, we're all going to do training. We're all going to do policies. We're all going to do procedures. We're all going to do certain types of communication. We're all going to audit and monitor, et cetera. So Ohio State's a good example. The institution I worked at before I came into healthcare, same thing. I presented a strategic approach to leadership. Then we pushed that strategic approach out to the subject specific areas on campus and basically said, you need to be training. You need to be uh, doing policies and procedures and communicating and auditing and monitoring. We coordinated with the auditors. We coordinated with legal, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have that strategic approach, that is what helps prevent a new add-on that, that you know that's doing their own thing they can then leverage some of the existing tools the existing resources uh that are already built in to the compliance program and that sort of leads into uh, the next question i had which is how can we help employees understand how all these pieces fit together and i think you know from what you're saying this whole strategic approach is really great for that it's perfect so at my last institution um when I first uh, started working there, um, within a few months, I mentioned to my leader uh, that at my last institution, I had done uh, an internal compliance conference where I brought all the compliance leaders together and we introduced this approach. Uh, and we had workshops and taught them how to use the approach. We created templates, we created models, we created handouts um, to help them understand here's what Here's what takes your specialty area, whether it's athletics or Title IX or FERPA. Here's how you take that specialty area and operationalize it into a compliance program using what we usually call the seven elements. Now, let me wrap this up by asking one more question, which is how do we ensure that learning in one part of the organization helps the rest of the compliance program? I think the answer to that is what I call a compliance network which I learned from Columbia University. So when I was working a couple institutions ago at Texas Women's, I, I met the compliance leader, one of the compliance leaders at Columbia, and they had created what they call a compliance network. So all the compliance leaders on campus knew who the other compliance leaders on campus were, uh, and they worked together. At my institutions, like I mentioned, we had conferences, we did trainings together, uh, we made sure that the compliance community, they knew each other and that they could learn from each other. Uh, created committees, sometimes temporary teams if we needed to work on a particular project together. But creating that network um, of compliance leaders, I think, really helps us learn from each other. And I think in, the, in our space, SCCE and HCCA, that's one of the great benefits of our conferences and our webinars. We get to learn from each other uh, how we can do compliance better at our organizations. And we always do need to do it better because the issues evolve and the standards go up. Well, Dina, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us both here and in the magazine. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and ATCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.